what a ridiculous idea is a newspaper in this day and age. To, to you get a piece of paper in the morning which tells you everything that happened yesterday, which, right. which you already know, and maybe there's some some opinion articles which you've already seen because they were on Twitter. Last come out night. the night before, right? They, but realistically, are they have they got a future? I don't, don't know. I don't know. You know, when I was a kid, it was the big, for a while anyway, it was the big tension in my life was football versus theatre. You know, going to my theatre class on a Saturday morning clashed with playing football on a Saturday morning and you have to make your decisions. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Ali. Hello, Ali. Hi, Dave. <laughs> so, yeah, it's always it's always a strange moment uh, going into the show. Yeah. Um, do you listen to the uh, Nerdist podcast at all? I do. Yeah, yeah. So that one where they just they talk and then so, and then it started and right. there's always a bit where the guest says. Have we started? Are we recording? Oh, yeah. I didn't realise. Yeah, I mean, and that's definitely one way of that's one way of going into these things. It's not it's not the way I choose, but I do enjoy it yeah. uh, when other people do it. But I mean, and sometimes you, sometimes there will be those kind of moments on this show, in that sometimes I'll I'll say, "Are you good to go?" Press record, and then we'll have a little chat before okay. we go in, and that's quite nice. Yeah. But I'm a big fan of people knowing that they're being recorded. Yeah, I think that's I true. I always wonder about like the legality of that, like. Be- they must, I don't know, sign something in advance or they must say... In well, I guess afterwards that, maybe they yeah, give permission because yeah. it's... I mean, with Spark London stories, people give permission after the yeah. after the event, which is also... I mean, I'm, I I get people to sign beforehand, so maybe I'm more, more questionable than than, than, uh, than I think. Yeah. Cause, but, I mean, at the same time, I mean, it's about, it's about how you frame these things, I guess. Yeah, so I'm, exactly. I, I'm trying to create a kind of... A, a safe and comfortable space yeah. for people but I a lot of people aren't trying to do that and that, that's good too you know but then I think they're doing that as well just doing it in a different way right. I think it's like a relaxed just start they don't even say there's not a moment of going we're starting the podcast now so everyone puts on their game face and that's true and, and the nerdist people coming you know should know really yeah. how it starts because that's how it started yeah, forever yeah, so yeah. if they don't know it just means they haven't done any research yeah. and then you know that's, that's the way it goes when you don't do any yeah, research yeah, I, I guess, guess. So. <laughs> I mean I say that like I'm someone who would do the research but I w- I'm not <laughs> you got unless you got files of information about me in front of you yeah well today I've prepared even less than I normally do <laughs> for, 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 for conversations because I was I meant to sort of think about it in advance but didn't didn't manage to because I've been quite busy but I did manage to like quickly re- re- look at your Twitter account before you came to remind me to, to, to see if there was anything I was missing. You'll have, uh, just, you'll have just seen lots of tweets about cricket from the last few right, days. Right, right. Well, 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 it did remind me of a couple of things I was going to talk to you about. So that was quite useful, even though I agreed there was, there was nothing much there. But the few things that were there were, worked for me. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Okay, so I know you from Spark London, from having told stories there and having chatted about, I was going to say the art of storytelling. I guess it is an art, the art of storytelling with you. Uh, yeah, that's how I know you. Yeah, I think that's increasingly, I guess, people, 
listeners will sort of notice that as as the show goes on, that's becoming quite a familiar um, yeah. way that I know people. It's quite a rich vein for you too. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the. Th- it's funny because because the show I want to be about real people, if you like, yeah. in inverted commas. It kind of it puts me in this strange dilemma as I sort of like know more performers and and get more kind of yeah. semi-famous contacts or whatever who are useful and, and they are people too. So yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're allowed on the show, but. If I didn't have Spark, I would kind of lose that that element of the yeah. show. I feel like so it's kind of like it's good. It's it's really useful for keeping the show grounded, getting people who I meet at Spark because they are just everyday people who just happen to like to tell stories about their everyday life. It's true. Like when I first came across this podcast, like the first thing I did was look for people whose names I recognised, listen to the Helen and Ollie one, right? Listen to the Martin Ostrich one, and just. You know, and then actually, as a listener, it's not a, a challenge, but it's a different thing to get your head round to listen. Because like I do that with the Nerdist podcast, I, I miss out all the ones. I've mean, so many American comics, I've got no idea who they right. are. Just miss them out. And it's tempting to do that. Yeah, I mean, I do that kind of thing more and more these days. I didn't used to. I used to like listening to people who would like, that's why I make this show. Yeah. But but as my time's kind of constrained at the moment and I'm not managing to listen to podcasts yeah. as much as I like, I do have to make these kind of hard choices of like, right, is it worth listening to Mark Maron this week? Do yeah. I know? That, okay, it's the president yeah, this week. Listen I'll listen to that to one. That one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what did you, you think know, of that one? Um, I thought that was really, I thought that was an interesting an interesting conversation. I thought that the president came off very well, and I, and I thought it was a very candid yeah. conversation as far as these things go. And I, I thought he, he sounded like someone I'd like to go for a drink yeah. with, which doesn't, which is you know, which is not my. I mean, bas- basically, I mean, I think it reminded me that just because someone's not doing everything that you hoped they'd do or you wanted them to do doesn't mean that they're necessarily doing them for the wrong reasons. That's a really good point. That people can do the wrong thing for the right reasons. And I I got the impression that he was very pragmatic. And I do respect that. And it's interesting to sort of note him being very critical in some ways of the, of the position of the president. Yeah. I mean, and I think he has sort of done some interesting things like that. Like, I, he's the first president who's ever gone into a prison while, while being a, pre, a president, I heard, uh, the other day. That's interesting. So I thought that was an interesting conversation. From the point of view of Mark Maron's show, it was good to hear Mark a little bit nervy. Yeah. And, not, and so, so because he was nervy, I thought he did a better job than sometimes he's done of late because I feel like he's... he's, he's He's so comfortable that yeah. it, it makes it kind I, I, of harder not, for him to have conversations. I'm not like the biggest Marin fan. To be no, honest. a lot like, of people aren't. I um, I've listened to bits and bobs of him, and I wondered whether he might have been a bit. I know he did a follow-up podcast, like dissecting it, which I couldn't bring myself to listen to because it's like pure unadulterated Mark Marin, which is slightly too much for me to take. I think, but I wondered whether he might be a little bit disappointed with how it turned out, just because. I bet he was hoping to be asking more normal stuff and less stuff about politics and the the presidency. Right. I mean, it was a tricky moment. He had to. I mean, I. I it's, it was an interesting thing to look, listen to as a person who does conversations, yeah. because you know there are. You have to. You have to acknowledge the elephants in the room, and the, the elephants in the in Obama's room are big and political and complicated and about race. 
and so it was right for, for, for those topics to come yeah. up and for those to be addressed. And I thought it was actually a very good forum for Obama to talk about that stuff because he, because I think in, in long form conversation, and that's the problem, it got taken out of sound bites and yeah. then the media machine churned around it. But a long form conversation, I think, are good places to talk about hard things because yeah. you, you have time to sort of stumble and say oh no I didn't mean that or go back or qualify yeah. not that not that Obama needed to do that because he is you know so eloquent isn't yeah, he yeah he is so good I mean I, I you know I can't express myself anywhere near as well as he can but I mean I, hang on of course you can Dave <laughs> no I'm not fishing for, for that <laughs> for that one but 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 I mean yeah I think I think Mark did manage to get some stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, I guess you're never going to get the big, like, it's never going to be like a comedian where you go back into no. Barack Obama's, like, big, massive drug overdose or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, you're never going to get that kind of thing because he's not going to allow that no. that through. He, he's not he's not stupid in any way. No, and he obviously <laughs> is so used to giving interviews. He's got so many answers he can give, but also he's so used to directing the conversation where he wants it to go uh so you know one question from mark Marin and you've got a 10 minute answer from barack obama right. and whatever follow-up questions Marin might have been thinking of uh, you know 10 minutes away in the distance so yeah no it was uh it was interesting but I mean, he. It, I mean, it was interesting in that Marin did manage to get a lot of himself into the conversation as well. That mm. was a surprise to a certain okay. extent. I thought, like, he managed to sort of like talk about his own personal experiences and and see what the president made of them. And in and in that respect, that's something I've copied in this show, I guess, or something I have. It's been an influence on me. This idea of like going, here's a personal experience I've had that's yeah. within your wheelhouse. Uh, how do you respond to that? It's such a fine balance, isn't it? That as a, I was going to say, inter- do you think of yourself as an interviewer? Um, I think of myself as a, like, I, I think of these as conversations, okay. but I have to accept that I'm broadly a, an yeah. interviewer, right? It's a difficult, I, I really like these long form podcasts I listen to, a few of them. And like, do you, do you ever listen to the Richard Herring one? Yeah. You know, and I, I think he gets amazing stuff out of his guests sometimes. Um, almost as much by luck as by judgment because he I think he gets he puts too much of himself into it for my tastes um and it's almost just the format itself of it being a long conversation that means at some point your guest is going to have to say something interesting unless they're just a fundamentally boring person but there are really fundamentally boring people I think okay as well I mean that's one of the things I find about Spark and with this show and so, but I agree, like, it's how, it's what you show of yourself. So long form does mean that at some point someone will show the interesting side of themselves. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I agree. I think it is to do partly with the form. It's not necessarily the, the wonder of the, the hosts yeah. doing it. But also he does his live, and so there's yeah. also that live yeah, charge um, that, that can really transform stuff. But like, I like doing this show live because I'll, I'll be on my A game. Okay, and I, and I like what that. game are you on today? <laughs> well, that, that, well, I mean, a game's a kind of complicated <laughs> phrase, isn't it? I mean, I'll be on my performer game, and okay. so it's kind of like in the moment I lose my, I don't double, like I don't overthink myself yeah. and all of that stuff that I'm more likely to do in this kind but of. But you're going to get, like you say, you're going to get a completely different type of conversation because yeah, it's good, like that level of. I mean, you know, we've got a microphone, some headphones, and whatever, but 
the level of artifice here is quite slim. Right. We're just sat in a kitchen having a chat. Whereas if you're on a stage and you've got people in front of you, just necessarily it's going to be a different type of conversation. Absolutely. So I like a live conversation. I enjoy it. But I think I, pref- I prefer these okay. kind of conversations. I prefer, like, more intimate... I like the fact that my show goes into people's houses or into my house or yeah. into, like, into into more intimate spaces, into less media... We're not, places we're less familiar hearing people yeah. in in the media. I mean, so I like that, and and, Mar- and Mark's got that in his show as well, yeah. because it's in his garage. But and the president went to his garage, yeah. which was an interesting yeah, yeah. thing. But I don't know. I think if if the president's in your garage, that's not a garage anymore. I mean, <laughs> it's become something. Oh, else. It's become really philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, when is a garage not a garage? When, yeah. when the president of the United States is in it. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 based. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 his recording studio, I guess, um, and it's become a, a professional space yeah. rather than no, a personal space. But but yeah, I mean, in terms of all of that stuff, I think yeah, it's lucky for me. You can't really have two people talk for a long time without there being some things interest, some interesting yeah. things in it. Whether it's the way that the people interact. You know, I I might listen back to a recording and think I talk too much in it, which is frequent. That's what I normally think when I'm editing. But people listening to that will have a different relationship to that. Than That's I true, do, though, because obviously people listening to this are partly listening because they enjoy what you're doing. I so guess they want so, to. Yeah. They want to hear a bit of you in there as well. It's not yeah. like it's not like um, like Desert Island Discs, is it? Where you're giving people a grilling and putting nothing of yourself in it wouldn't sure wouldn't work and I, but I also I mean even if they're listening and they're thinking oh god he's interrupting too much today it doesn't mean that the, the conversation around that is a bad one you know no. it doesn't mean that there's not interesting things no, and, no, and, but the listener's not interested in whether I'm being a good interviewer that day no. they're interested in what's happening yeah 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 what the conversation is who the person is um, which leads me on to the second question, <laughs> which is, what do you do now? You mean for a living? You, well, you can take it okay. any way you like. I'm going to take it the obvious way, which I, uh, is, that is the, for a living. That is the standard. <laughs> so uh, for a living, I... Well, mostly I write sports-based listicles, <laughs> which uh, I'm guessing is probably not an answer you've had before nope. to that question. No. Nope. So, yeah, I work for um, the Press Association, which... Uh, is the national press agency of Great Britain and Ireland. And, yeah, for the last just over a year, we've been working on this project called Snapper, which is an attempt to do the kind of internet content that is obviously you see a lot of at the moment. You know, the independent have got I-100 and and uh, I'm not supposed to say the B word, but BuzzFeed, you know, there's all that kind of thing. So we're... Um, so we're using the same kind of agency model that PA's always had, um, creating obviously very different type of content to what PA has traditionally done. So that's what I do. So I guess you're sort of the you're part of the future of journalism. I guess. Well, possibly. I don't know. I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows whether this kind of thing is a is here to stay or whether it's a, a kind of passing fad or whether it will just evolve over time I mean it might stick around because there's just you know the the world you react to the world I guess so uh, there's always something new to do you've always got the help of people on Twitter and whatever to 
just kind of t- take their ideas as well. When I say take, you know, I don't mean <laughs> steal. Maybe I do mean steal. So yeah, so who knows? I don't know whether it's the future of journalism. Hopefully not, because you want there to be proper traditional um, investigative journalism, which is obviously really important. So hopefully it's a part of the future of journalism and not the future. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think that you can see that, though, anyway. Not mentioning the B word, but that's uh, yeah, yeah. is definitely becoming somewhere where conventional journalism and re- longer form and really yeah. good journalism happens on there. But it does happen right next to, you know, an article that's a, 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 an advertorial. And yeah. so that's a confusing uh, thing. But then that's probably the case in the broadsheets, to be honest. I think we... Um... <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Like, you know, as long as I can remember reading the broadsheets, they've had top 10 lists of things and stuff alongside a serious article, alongside, like you say, what is basically an advert. So (laughs) it's nothing new, I don't think. It's just packaging things in a different way, isn't it? It's making stuff that is going to fit into people's lives because whatever... However, you look at it. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, how what a ridiculous idea is a newspaper in this day and age? To, to you get a piece of paper in the morning which tells you everything that happened yesterday, which, right. which you already know, and maybe there's some some opinion articles which you've already seen because they were on Twitter. Last they came out night. the night before, right? That, so, like, you know, I love newspapers, but realistically, are they? Have they got a future? I don't, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember why I started on that now. I mean, I the thing about newspapers is when the conventional sort of wisdom is about that stuff, or one of the conventional wisdoms is that, you know, paper itself is, is a distribution system with a lot of problems and, yeah. you know, move to pe- like paperless this and paperless that. But then the devices we use yeah. to consume... The internet also use up a lot of carbon. Yeah, um, I've been finding out more about that recently. Okay, and and so what's worse? I don't know. I, I suspect ultimately paper is something we need to lose. I think it will. I do think that it's maybe on the way out. I don't know. It's like a big <laughs> thing to say, isn't it? You yeah. risk looking like an idiot in twenty years' time when it's flourishing or whatever. But I just can't see how it fits into people's lives anymore it just doesn't it just seems it just feels like an anachronism like having the milkman come it just doesn't feel like part of 2015 somehow i know what you mean although we we, we get our milk delivered Do you? but yeah that is anachronistic in some ways and when people come around and see the 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 bottles they they're reminded of their yeah. childhood experiences yeah, yeah. Right, and, with, the, and with the birds like right. pecking off the top that's what i was right. remember about milk yeah. bottles from a lot of the conversation has been about what you can put in the newspaper to make it relevant but maybe that's not what the conversation is at all maybe you just phase out the actual paper thing although having said that you see you know living in london metros and evening standards all over the place so maybe there is still a place in yeah but then those are those are kind of there's there's a different model for their distribution and they they sort of serve a different role and there's still yeah. enough people who haven't got the internet when they're underground yeah uh, yeah and that that's change, changing it the, and the enemy is going free as well, isn't it? Did you see that? I didn't see this that. Week? That's interesting. But then, but I mean, the thing is, I think I read more news than I've read before, you know, in the last, like, five, 
10 years when yeah. I've got into the internet like in a big way and Twitter and stuff like that I read a lot more journalism than I would have done when I was and I, when I would have bought, bought the paper every so often yeah right? but but now I'm like That's wake true, up yeah. straight away looking at my yeah. phone there's a news story oh I'm reading it straight yeah, away yeah. I've clicked it you know I have this like idea that it will I don't know whether this is true or not but like there's so much free news out there so much free stuff that you can get in this country, there's the BBC, which like massively skews the conversation. Well, the government are sort of talking about the um, the BBC website being a being yeah being potentially competition for newspapers, and so potentially they're saying it's kind of create you know it's it's not competitive. Like I'm massively pro BBC, but from like inside the industry, it is that's. It's hard to kind of argue with that because all this great content from the BBC is up there for free. They don't have to put adverts on it. It's a massive barrier to the you know if you if you're the the Guardian, which is I guess a reasonable kind of competitor for the BBC. Wh- why is anyone going to go to the Guardian if it's got a paywall on it when they can get the stuff at the BBC website? And it has scaled down the BBC website. It's not as in depth as it as it was, and maybe. To an extent, it's slightly hamstrung. Like, its opinion pieces tend to be... You know, you don't get anything very controversial on the BBC website. That's true. But going back to what I was saying, there's so much free stuff there. I wonder if, eventually, what will happen is the kind of big newspapers will just kind of fade away and people will get their news online from blogs, from whatever, and then people will realise gradually that they're not getting the news that they need and then the whole thing will have to start from the ground up again that's one way I can see it going I mean it's it's interesting to see I mean because I think there's different value in different kinds of journalism and I think it's interesting to see like I feel like the the news I get now is is better than the news I, I got in the past but you never really know the full like how real any fact is no. <laughs> how how real any data is, no. um, and so you know it's 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 hard to it's a hard call. You know we live in a world now where less things can be hidden because we've all got cameras in our yeah. pockets, and citizen journalism like changes a lot of a lot of power structures that we we're used to, and I think those are good things, but at the at the, at the same time. There's a craft that I, I know of it with it that was within journalism, whether it's like the same now, I don't know, but that that meant that people really will, you know, the facts that you got were more likely in some ways to be, but then again, they were always manipulated. They've always been no true. I, I think the the obviously one of the big roles of the press is to hold those in power to account, really, and. Uh, in some ways the most important role of the press you know and that still happens an example one of my PA colleagues Martin Ziegler was kind of credited recently with more or less bringing down Seth Blatter when he got hold of a particularly crucial document and put it on Twitter and put it out and you know within a day Blatter had stepped down as head of FIFA so uh, I'm not saying that that was entirely Martin's doing but uh, you know it was a great bit of journalism and and that kind of thing is really important and that would be a great loss if, if that kind of stuff stopped happening you know if the newspapers 
PA whoever went out of business. But That'd then, be a massive loss. I mean, yeah, I agree, but it's but it's but it is a complicated thing because sometimes newspapers and the media speak the truth to power and to, and reveal stuff that we wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah. But other times they don't, and you know, WikiLeaks has to come out, yeah. or like you know, various other whistleblowing sort of moments, uh, and I don't know, it's like it's you know. My feeling as a consumer of this stuff is good journalists I really like and bad in inverted commas journalism I really hate and yeah. there's there's a there's a there's there's both those things out there in the mainstream and in the independent and uh, my 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 sympathy is more with independent because I make an independent podcast and I yeah. care about marginalised voices but you know it's not as simple as just they're good and they're bad no. you know definitely not no. Um... No, you summed it up. <laughs> so how did you... you not left me with any room to respond. To that's that. true. Yes, I, mean, I agree. Not, 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 great, <laughs> not great conversational skills there. But, but, yeah, how did you end up being in, in, in the journalism it, game? Well, a kind of roundabout and convoluted route. I, I studied drama at university and then did a master's in script writing and spent about a year trying to be a playwright. But it's quite, it's quite a difficult thing to do. <laughs> Right. So uh, at some point, I just thought, you know, I have to get a. I was going to say I have to get a proper job, but probably writing sports-based listicles doesn't necessarily count as a proper job. But you know <laughs> what I mean. I had to get a, I had a to find a job. steady source yeah. source of income. So yeah, so I went and worked in a pub for a bit, did a journalism qualification, and then I was offered a job on the Whitehaven. I can't remember what it's called now. Whatever the White ha- local paper in Whitehaven is, right. it was a, I was offered that job and turned it down in the end. Everyone thought I was crazy because there weren't a lot of jobs going. But it's so isolated, so isolated. And you know, I had a girlfriend at the time who obviously wasn't going to move to Whitehaven. And so yeah, I just had to uh, turn that one down in the end. And then the next job offer that came up was uh, as a trainee with. PA on the sports desk and sort of worked up through the sports desk and then yeah and then this project came up yeah like I say about a year ago and for reasons that are sort of probably too boring to go into in any great depth uh, I was sort of quite well placed to to take that on from the sports point of view it's kind of people grabbed from all over the company a sports person a features person right. a news person throw them all together call it snapper see what comes out <laughs> So that's yeah. where I, how I got to where I am today. And you and you're interested in sports, though. It's not like that. that that's a, a genuine thing. Yeah, absolutely. Really. Yeah, like certainly. You know, when I was a kid, it was the big for a while. Anyway, it was the big tension in my life was football versus theatre. You know, going to my theatre class on a Saturday morning clashed with playing football on a Saturday morning, and you have to make your decisions so playing playing sport sort of fell by the wayside as I sort of had more interest in the theatre stuff but watching sport always stayed there and when I came out of doing my journalism qualification I was really keen to do something either in sport or the arts and the sport chance came up first so uh, so that's what I've been doing ever since. Right. 
I don't know, I guess by coming to stuff like Spark, you're able to like, and you and you're able to get some of that kind of performance side out. Yeah, like I think I don't like I've never been a a performer really. I've never right. been. I was never a great actor. Like I think a lot of people who do drama degrees probably have the same experience, which is thinking they're a pretty good actor, getting to university, realizing that everyone is better than you, or it's, <laughs> certainly it feels like that anyway. And then you either have to find another area of theatre to focus on or you have to get better. Right. Uh, And so my thing was I tried writing some stuff and and it turned out pretty well. So, yeah, I I went down that route. So when, when I do the Spark stuff, I don't really think of it as... I'm thinking of it, thinking of it more from a writing point of right. view than from a performance point of view. Well, I think that's definitely the right way of looking at it okay. to a certain extent. Because, well, because like, I, th- I think that Spark is the kind of space as well where, where when you're telling a true story, it doesn't matter if you stumble over the lines. Yeah. Um, so it, it probably is better to look at it as a craft thing because we want to see who you are. And if, yeah. And if who you are is a little bit awkward on stage, which is my, my MO... Um, then that, that that's okay, but um, and but when you're telling your story, then yeah, I mean, I, your stories are really intricately woven. I think they're they're it? definitely like crafted. I think is probably the word I would use yeah. because uh, the first time I did it, I don't know whether you remember or not, but like I was at the fir- the yeah, first of the happy nights, but I didn't speak. Um, this guy called I think he was called Adam did an amazing story about his mum being a teacher and uh, there was like an eagle. Oh God, yeah, that, that's coming back to me now. Yeah, right. Uh, that was amazing. And I thought, and he, and he did that thing that nearly everyone does when they get up on stage and they go, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't expecting to tell a story today, so bear with me. And then reeled off this incredible, perfect, funny amusing touching story and, and you're watching it you're thinking oh it must be easy it must be really easy so the next month I I um, had a bit of a think in advance about whatever the theme was I think it was something it was like fears or something and um, yeah because it was October, it was for Halloween and then I did did a I thought I'd talk about my dad's fear of flying and I sort of thought a bit in my head about how it might go and I got on stage and it was absolutely petrifying and it was like why didn't I, why didn't I just plan it out a bit more and I didn't have a, a proper ending to it or anything and so every time I've done it since I've I've written it out I've literally written it out and then cut it down and worked on it and then not learnt it word for word but learnt the structure of it and the kind of beats of it well enough that I can deliver it without worrying too much that it's going to go wrong right I mean, and that's definitely a very valid way of of, of, of preparing for Spark. Like, that it. I mean, different people are just completely different about it. Like, it's it's so interesting to see yeah. that some people some people tell their best stories when they haven't planned them. Yeah. And some people, like you say, like tell their best stories when they've planned it out and worked it all out. I mean, I don't know which of those I am really. I try to sort of plan out my stories a bit, but. Uh, life gets in the way and then sometimes I find that the ones I haven't planned the, the, are the ones that land best okay. in the room it's just I mean for me it's weird because every every month I've got to find a new yeah yeah it's like I'm but I, I like it. I, I, I kind of veer between on the one hand 
thinking, God, I'm glad I don't have to do that. And on the other hand, thinking that's a great kind of discipline to have to stick to, to have a new story every month. Right. The kind of that, that deadline and that demand is, is kind of a, it's, it's a gift in a way, but also, it's also obviously a bit of a curse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where discipline is, is, is a, is too kind a word for it because some some months it will be planned and other months it will be just me standing up and basically having a vague idea like most of the time I like spend most of the month trying to work out what will fit and then work it out like two days before when, yeah. it's, when there's not really enough okay. time to, to to plan it properly so I used to because until about a year ago I was I was working nights and that meant working one week on one week off so I had quite a lot of time in which I could sit down and think about it and write when I just don't really have that kind of time anymore right, right. Um, which is um, which is a shame so I haven't done one for a while but yeah so maybe it's time for me to get get back up and try and do an unplanned one again yeah you never know like maybe maybe if I carried on just on that route doing them not so planned maybe I'd have developed a, a, a skill for it I agree I mean that's 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 yeah that's that's perfectly possible and I mean, also the other thing is, it was you know, it's your first kind of time at, in the space doing yeah. it. Like now, you've you've been up on stage, you've told stories at Spark. I bu- I, I booked you for stand up tragedy, so you've done like yeah. other rooms as well in slightly more kind of performance con- context. So yeah, maybe you'd be all right, unplanned. You should go for it. I mean, I don't even remember you if your first story was bad anyway. Like it, bad. I bet it wasn't. I bad. bet everybody in the audience was fine with it. But you, it's probably know. still. Do the do the recordings get kept or do they get? Yeah, I think so. I think they're in some kind of complicated archive that can be. <laughs> it probably still exists. We'll yeah. be able to listen to it and decide whether who's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was pretty. I'm sure it was pretty poor. Yeah. Um, well, do you still get nervous doing it? Yeah. Yeah, but then, I mean, that's partly because you're telling your own stories. So yeah. You never know if people are going to judge you, like, how they're going to think of you each week. Yeah. You draw a lot of from your kind of darker moments in your life, don't you? I do. Well, I do, but I try to, like... I, I, I try to tell stories about more happier moments, too. But the problem is that, you know, I think a good story needs to have stakes. Right. And so yeah, when, yeah. When, when it doesn't... Like, when I when I've told stories that have been about more happy times, sometimes I can't really find the stakes and I can just yeah. see that the audience is like, right, they're just, he's telling me a nice anecdote about yeah. something that he enjoyed. And it's like, right, okay, we, fine. I'll, I'll tell, tell you some more misery then. We, we, we've like, <laughs> we've talked before, haven't we, about the difference between a story and, a, and an anecdote. Yeah. Whether there is a difference. Yeah. Or not. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that, I don't know. I still haven't. I still haven't decided exactly on that. I know some some people who come to Spark have a, a more firm firm view on anecdotes. I mean, I think it's how you tell it, and and also one of my things about storytelling is I think it's about character, not plot. So, okay. So I think if someone gets up and they're really authentic and they kind of open up whatever kind of person they are okay. people will respond to it and if they're comfortable to a certain extent with their discomfort because I mean that, that it can, it can, if you're too nervy and I've definitely been that guy it can make the audience nervy but as long as people are like somehow relaxed have a, something within them that can make them carry on and, and not, not make the audience worried for them yeah. then, then I think 
that's what works when people show who they are and okay. the kind of plot's less important but it is imp- it is important like yeah. if you don't have any story then that's that's that that won't work but but i think there's some people who can take an anecdote basically this is a long way of saying i think there's a, a lot of people can take an anecdote and make it into a story yeah I, but when I start telling a story and I think it's going to be a story and then in the middle I go, oh, this is an anecdote, that, <laughs> that never, that doesn't work because I lose my, I, I lose the belief in even the story I'm okay. telling. And that's, those are the ones that, that's where the stories don't work so well, when people sort of start apologising in the middle for, you know, even trying to tell the story, you know, and that's like, just tell the story. Yeah. And I think that's why I feel a lot more comfortable having it all planned out, just so that I know where it's going yeah. I know is it, is it Janet who says have your first line and your last yeah. line sorted out and, and that's, will... I mean I think that's a really good piece of advice and I, I definitely try and do that and uh, and and repeat Joanna's uh, advice quite a lot but I think for me I think it's and I think Joe Joe thinks this too it's, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be the exact line yeah. you just need to know, know where you're going. starting and where yeah. you're going to I think that's probably the big problem I had with that first story I did was didn't know how I was going to finish it. I just thought oh, I'll, I'll think of something. And sometimes you do. Okay. Right? Sometimes I've been up there and I haven't known where the story's going to end. And also sometimes I think it's going to end somewhere and it ends somewhere completely different. Yeah. But but yeah, it's 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 when you realise you haven't got an ending. Again, it's like it's it's when you become aware of yourself doing the yeah. thing rather than you're doing it. Yeah. That's always a problem. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Like when I do s- <coughs> singing like in in bands and stuff it's always when i start being it's it's always like when i when i start being aware of the fact that i'm playing guitar is when i mess up the guitar okay. and when i re- start being aware of the fact that i'm singing so if i think oh that sounds good or that sounds bad yeah. it doesn't matter either one that's when i mess I up i remember exactly <laughs> the same from when i used to well, I was going to say I used to act, but that's probably stretching the point a little bit. When I used to appear in plays on a stage sometimes, and uh, it's exactly the same. Like some some days you'd go, you'd, you'd catch yourself and like, oh, I'm really killing it tonight. It's right. brilliant. And then like, you lose your place, or you the, the moment you get that kind of self awareness, you, you're yeah. gone, you're yeah. done for. Yeah, for definite. I mean, and, and that's what I kind of crave on stage is the fact that you don't. Because you, you you are in the moment, or most of the time you're in the moment. You have to be in the moment, and that's kind of why I like it. Because yeah. I spend all my life not being in the moment. Spend all of it worrying and okay. The yeah, the um going back to the nerdist podcast again. Chris Hardwick often makes the point that creative people are kind of the least well-adjusted people <laughs> to deal with being creative people in some way like right. to be like a creative person you have to necessarily be think about the world a lot think about yourself and and be introspective and like question yourself all the time but then to be on stage and facing that immediate criticism that is the worst personality type to be when you're right. in that situation right 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 so absolutely yeah <laughs> it's a weird it's kind of a weird yeah dichotomy is that the right word weird dichotomy dichotomy definitely sounds like the right word so I know that you've you've got an interest in performance right and and writing more more than that and then you've got this interest in sport that you had that kind of conflict around but also I think you, you're interested in music right yeah yeah, so again, th- that's something that like having a proper job has got in the way of a little bit. 
but yeah, for a long time I was um, writing for a website called For Folk's Sake. It was a really fun thing to do, reviewing albums, going to gigs, interviewing people, and then I started the bit of the site called the um, Song of the Day, where we, and you know, people sent me songs and we chose our favourite ones and had a different song every day. And yeah, again, really fun thing to do. But again, having a proper job has got in the way of it a little bit. When I was So when I was working nights for a while and then it was, it's quite a comfortable job. Kind of knew more or less what was coming all the time. But I was never sort of in charge of anything. So working for, for folks' sake... And having my own little bit was great at that point because it meant I had a little thing that was mine and I could nurture it. And right. But then doing the job I'm doing now, which is being the sports editor for Snapper, I've, already, I've got that. So when I'm not on, <laughs> when I'm not working, I don't necessarily want to do pretty much exactly the same thing. In yes, my, right. In my spare time, so <laughs> that has yeah, that's fallen by the wayside a little bit. That, I think the last thing I did was interview Abby Buffalo a, f- a few months ago, nice. which was uh, which was fun, and I'm sure I will go back to it again at some point. Well, that was the arts side of things that you were sort of like you said there was like a kind of like you were. First of all, you were trying to like get jobs yeah, in so. sports or arts. I guess I guess I never Writing. really thought about it in that way. But I guess I guess that was it. Like so, one of my colleagues at PA when I was still working up north sort of spotted this website and got involved with it, and then I thought it looked fun, so I got involved too, and it just went on from there. Again, I never really thought about it as that being that outlet that I never never sort of got first time around. But yeah, it's been great for me in the sense that since I've been in London, that website has provided me with the majority of my friendship group. <laughs> so whatever else it's done, it's it's vastly improved my social life. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So sports is like a sort of, it's kind of slightly an alien world. Okay, let's world talk sport. Um, I mean, it's not completely alien to me. I, 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 there are sports I like and there are sports I've enjoyed watching and there's sports I've enjoyed playing. They're, okay. not, they're not the same. I really enjoy playing five-a-side football, but I can't stand watching football. I find it really boring. And I know that people don't, so I'm not saying that I'm right and they're wrong, but that's how I feel. I I just can't can't relate to football. Whereas I used to watch cricket growing up, but that was more like... like What I liked about that was that you didn't have to watch it. You could just all get together and be social, and it was an excuse to get together and drink beer. Okay. Well, I... So I love cricket. Cricket is probably my favourite sport now. It's probably overtaken football. I don't know why. It, it just something about it. The ashes that's on at the moment for me is just the pinnacle of sport. We went to a 2020 match the other day. I went with uh, my girlfriend and a few friends. And um, I kind of told Lindsay, my girlfriend, that you know it's not really about the sport. It's just you have a few drinks and everyone has a chat and... The cricket goes on in the background and it doesn't really matter all that much. And then when we got there, everyone else was sort of not paying attention to the sport and drinking and whatever. And I was sort of focusing on the on the cricket. And she was like, I thought you said it wasn't really about the sport. And I was like, yeah, but I really like cricket. So <laughs> for me, it was about the sport. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Who knows why some people like sport and 
some people don't. I don't know why. It's a lot of... I know there's a lot of crossover in the theatre world. Like, a lot of theatre practitioners love football in particular. Uh, Sarah Kane, the playwright, was a massive Manchester United fan. And um, you see, like, on Twitter, you see Simon Stevens, the playwright, also a Manchester United fan, like, chatting away with Gary Lineker all the time. I think such a such a weird world. <laughs> yeah. But when so when something becomes your job, there's always that risk that you might kind of lose your love for it. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes like I forget how much I like sport. I, I, some like like sometimes I'll sit down and watch a football match on my day off, and I'm almost surprised at myself at how much I enjoy it because because it's something that just my brain associates with work, and then to sit down and watch a football match and just appreciate the kind of aesthetics of it and the drama of it and and everything about it. It's good to do every so often and remind myself that I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's cool. I mean, that, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, like, I can, I, can, I can understand that. I mean, I can understand that, but just not with sport. Like, I have that kind of feeling, I guess, around the arts. Like, I'm yeah. doing it all the time, and then, oh, I actually enjoy it as well. It's, it's the know? same. I often think of sport in terms of, you know, you talk about drama, and when people talk about writing plays, and they talk about each character having a motivation, and drama comes from when the two characters' motivations are completely at odds with each other. And that's what sport is. Like that is in essence, that is exactly what sport is. You've got one team in a football in a football match, you've got one team trying to get it in that goal over there, and the other team trying to get it in that goal over there. And they the two are completely opposed. And that's drama in its purest form, I think. Yeah, no, fair enough. I think that's true. I mean sport tends to be as well in, in very similar sort of setup to the way that drama was. I mean the, the kind of amphitheatre like in the round, if you like, yeah, uh, and I guess in in classical times, those sports and and drama happened in the same places as well. I think um, some of the time. So you want me to leaf in and talk about classical theatre? I don't know. You can <laughs> if you want. I, did, I actually did my um, I actually did at Rhodes University. I did my uh, dissertation on Greek theatre. But it was it was a really bad dissertation. So <laughs> I'm not sure I'm uh, particularly well qualified to uh, to talk on that. Well, I studied theatre as well, and I've got kind of an idea of. I'm more interested in like I've always been interested in those kind of the, the mythology of Greek certainly uh, Greek mythology. Um, so, but haven't really studied this stuff so no. much as I've just been interested in it and I have a background in theatre so we've covered the, the basics I think it's like it's amazing that that stuff still exists the yeah. Greek the drama from then right we went to see um, Electra recently do I mean Electra you With could do Kristen Scott Thomas in it at the old Vic and like just the fact that you're sat watching something that was written right two and a half thousand years right, ago right, right. It's, just, it's just mind-blowing really and to see that obviously people's concerns were very different and yet very similar it's an incredible thing yeah different but but the same like it's, it's like that's what being 
if this that's a bit deep but that's kind of what being a human is all about i always think it's like how similar we all are and how completely different we all yeah. are like those two things it's just and they're endlessly fascinating yeah i mean that's what i like about spark or i like about the arts i guess that's kind of what that's kind of contained in sports as well i guess because you're look, looking at different people and it, you know interesting how they interact so there was a uh, an advert that uh, investor actually sponsored the ashes produced recently to for you know there's a kind of a um patriotic chest beating thing um like spurring on the england fans ahead of the ashes and they had sort of really brief interview clips with, with various players and one of them, the uh, England wicketkeeper, Charles Butler, was talking about, um, you know, it's us against them. It's who we are. It's who. It's what. It's what we stand for. And I was like, that's an interesting concept. That in some way, sport is about what you stand for. You know, what does what does the England cricket team stand for compared to what the Australia cricket team stands for? Or does he mean even deeper than that? What is the English? What's the English way of life compared to the Australian way of life? It's interesting, anyway, just to hear a sportsman talking in those kind of terms. Yeah, I mean that, but that's the area that I always get kind of a bit worried about in okay. sports. Like it's, it's. I, I get the whole whole idea of this being like this great primal drama of like. They, this 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 character wants this thing and this character wants this thing and they have diff- and they and they and they're fighting for that. I get that and I can relate to that. But it's when it becomes stuff about national identities or about like what people stand for that I can't really. Then I'm like, yeah, but it's still just a ball on a field, and it's like you don't stand for anything. You both want the same thing. You're both very similar. Like like yeah, you, you know, like I I can't. I can't get my head around that stuff and I find that all a bit worrying like the idea that at the end of the game people genuinely might think lesser of other human beings you know that sort of stuff I mean I guess that that comes from having experienced you know PE and comprehensive schools where it is a horrible hierarchical system yeah. and you either you either are good at that or you're not and I, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't either. I was terrible <laughs> at sport um but always with the desperate need to prove that I was actually any good, which I wasn't, but, you know, felt that I needed to be. I remember playing PE in, playing cricket in PE one time, and this guy, big tall guy, bowling at me and just completely let the ball go too early, and it was coming straight for my face. I was not wearing a helmet, and I, I was like, right, this is my chance to prove that I deserve to be in the cricket team, the school cricket team. And I sort of pulled it for four and ran away and felt really pleased with myself. And then a second later thought, what was I thinking? You know, if that had hit my face, face, that could have been nasty. But it was just that need somewhere in me to prove that I was good. Yeah. Which I wasn't. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm team, team Dave on this. I was <laughs> terrible, terrible in PE. I dreaded it. I dreaded rugby in particular. That was the one that just, I just don't, like I still, it's not my sport. It just seemed like an excuse for... Well, I've got a complicated relationship with rugby because I went to, so I mean, I was all right. I mean, I was, I was never, I was never bad at sports in my first school, but then everything changed and sort of my position within the school changed when I, when I went to Cardiff. And so I was at the bottom of the 
food chain. It didn't matter how good I was at okay. PE. I was never picked. Okay. And it didn't matter how good I was at PE. I was going to be kind of, you know, treated badly during the PE experience. Um, but, like, rugby was a, it was a different thing, though, because rugby meant taking your glasses off, which meant, like, and, do, yeah, you're right, it is kind of an excuse for violence, but I was a pacifist who was being bullied by the entire school. Right, okay. So when, when I can do it within the rules of, 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 of a game, that was a kind of liberating experience yeah. for me. Until I re- until there was a time when I got one of the bullies and was punching him in the head repeatedly, and because I didn't have my glasses on, I didn't know that the teacher was standing above me watching me do it. And that's when I went off rugby because I yeah. realised I couldn't just beat up bullies. Okay, <laughs> so you could just you could just do that anyway, just grab them. Yeah, but it, for some reason it only ever worked out in because the, the thing is I had plausible deli- deniability yeah, yeah, yeah. that I wasn't trying to hurt yeah. them. The, that's interesting though because like at school I, my re- recollection of school was if you were good at sport you were popular and that was it full stop so was it just because you were the new well, kid well I wasn't or? bad at, I, was, I was medium okay. I, was, I would never have been chosen as, I was never good at sport but I was never I was not physically like um, unable to play sports like I think there's a lot of people who are forced to play sports okay. when it's not their it's not their thing that's not the kind of sport they might want to play there's a lot of like issues to to do with like mixing abilities if you like yeah. in sports that can be, that could be really tough in school environments because everyone's so you know every, every it's all so gloves off it's in school yeah. right but but i mean i was i was middling so i would never have i would have been i would not have been picked last okay but because of the, my change in hierarchy okay, yeah. i was picked last after everybody who would have been picked okay. last as a kind of like Almost like a statement to me, yeah. which was an interesting thing to experience, but hasn't hasn't made me feel very nice about no. sports. Well, I still, <laughs> I I obviously still have like certain hang-ups about my sporting ability because I still have dreams about it. I still dream sometimes that I'm on a cricket pitch and the ball's coming towards me and I can't dive to pick it up, or I pick it up and then I throw it, but it goes about two meters, and that's that's it. I have those kind of dreams. So it was something, surprisingly often. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's sort of interesting to me though that if it's something that you felt so complicated, like you felt kind of complicated about, like at least your ability to to do it, but it, yet it, it hasn't turned you off sports or it. I guess I just saw playing sport and watching sport as two pretty different things. Yeah, I mean, I think they are um, different things, and I guess as well, it was kind of a. You know, I'd go to the football with my dad and my sisters and you know, I'd sit in front of the cricket with again generally with my dad and my sisters and my, my mum would go to the football as well, I should say. But uh, she was not keen on the cricket. You know, and that was that was a big part of it too. It was a big kind of shared Right. Family and yeah. community experiences. Yeah. Again and I guess that's what I had a little bit with cricket in that my family was quite into it well, my brother was interested in watching mm. it and so it became a sort of thing that some some parts of the family did together and so it was good for that and I like playing sports I quite yeah. like playing them because like it's kind of an excuse to like let energy out yeah. I've got a lot of energy tend to have I don't really I don't really play any sports now I started running for a while like everyone does and got reasonably okay at that and then my knee went and I haven't been running since but no it's all 
I just tend to watch. I don't tend to. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> Sit on the sidelines, have to let other people do the work. Would you say overall it's a good thing to have that be your job, or like, are the concerns that you were sort of like alluding to earlier on? Like, I think there was a time a few years ago where I'd kind of fallen out of love with sport, and at that point I was thinking maybe it's time to move on and do something different, but the maybe it's the change of role or whatever just time passing partly the olympics maybe because i worked at the olympics three years ago which was an incredible experience somehow you know it really helped me remember that it's a thing i really love and you know it's a great thing it's a good thing to have uh socially as well because it's an easily understandable job when you meet someone and you go i'm a sports journalist yeah, that's a that's a conversation. Whereas if you meet someone and go, oh, I can't think of any kind of weird jobs now. Well, when I meet people, I have to say I'm a storyteller. Well, that's all right. That's a conversation well, as well, is isn't it? Right. Maybe maybe accountant or something is doesn't, doesn't library, necessarily library assistant. Okay, that's never that never that's not a conversation. In fact, that's that is a conversation. That's the conversation that goes. They now assume that they know everything okay, yeah, about yeah. your job, and you have to explain that it's not just sitting there drinking, drinking tea and reading the yeah, magazine. Yeah. But you have those kind of esoteric jobs where you, it's just a, it's just a string of words, and you no one you don't really know what they mean. Right? You imagine when you say something that something manager at the yeah, end. Yeah, you say that at a, you know when you meet someone in the pub or something. No, sorry, got, got nothing on that. Right. You, that does not tally with my experience. It's one of those jobs where you think. If they didn't exist, would anyone notice? Is no. that a really bad right. thing to say? Well, I, I don't know. Depends. <laughs> you, you've not been specific. Yeah, about I know. Deliberately, you know, I'm not, so I'm not so sliding right. off anyone. So sport, though, if you yeah. say you're a sport journalist, yeah. you're that 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 kind of maybe it's a conversation, but I guess you do end up having conversations like a lot of conversations about sport at that point, and and people have like positive relationships to sport or negative relationships to sport. So it might be more polarising than you think. I think there was a time uh, when I first started the job that I was quick to kind of disassociate myself from it, to say, I'm a sports journalist, but... But I'm still arty. But, yeah. (laughs) And I think that's probably quite disrespectful. It's because I had a certain view of what a sports journalist was. And... And so I thought, well, everyone else is going to have that view as well. And actually, the world of sports journalism is incredibly diverse. And there's loads of kind of different types of people work there. And, you know, if other people make assumptions about me from what my job is, that's fine. (laughs) I don't really I don't really mind anymore. Mm. And ultimately, I've got to let I've got to let me speak for myself. I think you're in a difficult place when you're. I think I was allowing myself to be defined by what my job was, right. basically, right. Um, and and that's kind of silly, really, because no one is their job. Everyone's got other, yeah. Uh, everyone's got other interests, other aspects to their lives. And my job's an amazing job that I really love and that many people would be incredibly, you know, 
jealous of me for having it. So uh, I think it's when I was uncomfortable with it, it was probably because I wasn't comfortable with myself right. at that point, rather than anything actually to do with the job, right. which, which I've always really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I mean, is it, we're 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 actually around like the hour mark. So okay. it's kind of technically when I'm supposed to ask the final question. I mean, I guess I've I've talked to you much less about like your life, yeah. like story. Let's talk life than I was expecting. I mean, but then it's hard to know. Like it's hard to know, like because you don't. I, it, when I know bits of people's life yeah. through the stories they've told on stage it's always hard to know if I bring that up is that going to be just a, actually a conversation stopper or is it going to start no, you can so, go for it go for it and then we can well, I can always say no well, no, but I mean that. but that's I mean that's I mean I just mean in terms of sometimes people are like you, you say their story and they're like yeah I told that story and then that's that's the end of that but yeah I mean you, the, the standout story that you told on stage for me although there's a couple of ones that do stand out really well but my favourite thing that you've done is the story of Bernard like, yeah this story and that's on the Spartan website so yeah. I guess people can listen to that but what that that was about was kind of like connecting with, with another human being who was in a very different position from you but then turned out to be the same or similar same y- yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we were, we were not the same no very much <laughs> the, but that story is about this guy in the town where I grew up who was an alcoholic essentially and we as a, as kind of teenagers when we were going in pubs for the first time we used to kind of you know have a laugh with him but at his expense really and then a few years later i was working in a pub and this guy uh, was a regular in the pub and we just ended up chatting quite a lot because he was um he used to be an english lecturer and obviously i'd not long finished my drama degree so we had a, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll stop there. So, <laughs> so that, uh, you know, people might... Right. Because there's a kind of a twist at that and you, point. And you don't want to give away you don't spoilers. Give, no, don't that's give that's the, spoiler. the other problem yeah, yeah. with trying to talk to, them, to people about their stories, especially ones that are out there and available. So, yeah, it's difficult. Like, it's only a five-minute story, so you don't want to spoil the last... No. Two and a half minutes. But, but no. But sorry. I mean, and that, and that was in Hull, and that was kind it of. It wasn't in Hull. Oh, actually. wasn't it? No, I went to university in Hull, but that was in Ilkley, which is the town where ah, I grew up. Right. Okay. So, and, and, and the north is, I guess, like, you, so you, there's parts of the north that you have lived in for a lot of your life, yeah. and then you, then you moved down to London. So, yeah, I, mean, I lived in the north. So, I grew up in Ilkley, lived there, went to university when I was 18, which was in Hull, so I did not go particularly far. Right. And then. Came back, lived in Ilkley for a bit, and then lived in Leeds for probably about five years, and then uh, I've been in London for the last three years. The, the the traditional like idea of this north south divide, I'm a bit sort of like sceptical of a lot of that, but there is definitely differences. I mean, and I've lived in both places. Like, how have you found coming to London? I guess, which is, I mean, London isn't even the south. London is no, London is London. Nothing to do with the rest of the <laughs> south, is it? Really, I really like living in London. Part of me thinks, why didn't I do this ten years earlier? It's true, like that thing about Northerners being friendlier. I think it probably is true. I think you do get more. Or maybe, again, maybe that's a London thing rather than a, a South thing. But I think you know, you're more likely to have a pleasant chat with someone on the street or someone in a shop or whatever up north than you are here. But. You know, London's just got 
so much to offer. There's just all, there's always something going on. Yeah, I love it. I'm not going to tell everyone about London because everyone knows about London. <laughs> yeah, everything's about London as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I guess it's like how was that? How was that for your identity though? In terms okay. of you, so you've lived in the north for most of your life, and then you come to to London, which is different. I mean, it's a different place. Well, I'm from the north's most middle class town. <laughs> <laughs> no, hang on, I'm probably from the north's second most middle class town. I'm from Ilkley, maybe Harrogate just about Definitely picks Harrogate it for being sure. even more middle class. Joined joined by Betty's tea room. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like I'm from mining stock or anything. No, sure. So uh, it's not like I had that kind of working class northern identity no and that's well that's something that people don't know particularly about the north who don't know the north that everyone thinks of the north as just it's just one big working class place yeah and then it isn't i mean it's complicated it's got lots of different yeah of course and my dad was strategies. from a working class family his mum came over during the war she was jewish right and german and came over during the war and she you know he grew up in a council house in shipley and was very intelligent and got into Cambridge and is a solicitor now and then and that is what has allowed him to you know bring up his family in in a really nice town in the Yorkshire countryside yeah in answer to your question you know I do strongly identify I guess as being northern I do strongly identify as being from Yorkshire but I don't really know what that means doesn't really mean anything I'm just you know, if an argument comes up, then I'll join in jokingly about the North being better than the South or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, I'm living in the South, so what does that really mean? Yeah. You know, I've always, I've always come to London a lot anyway, even when I wasn't uh, living here. Like, as a family, we used to come down fairly regularly. Right. And then, you know, from university, obviously having done a drama degree, loads of my course mates flocked to London immediately. Right. So yeah, I was always visiting here quite a lot. So, I know a lot of people when they move to London have that thing of like, oh, it can take you 18 months to feel like you really settled here. But I just didn't feel that at all. I felt straight away like I was really happy there. That's really interesting. I moved into a flat with people I didn't know, but we all got on really well. I, you know, I had friends down here. I made new friends. It just like, you know, it just, just went. It went as well as as it could have gone. I mean, that's great. I mean, because I I I've had family in London all my life, and like I know this area really well that I live in now because yeah. my family lived here all all the time. But when I moved to London, I found it like did, it did take around eighteen months, I think, really, to, my, to just to start being able to just deal with how big it all was and how yeah. much stuff was going on, and to start making London work for you rather than just overwhelm you that's how I felt but it doesn't sound like that's your experience I just think I don't know maybe I just like I I don't know maybe I was just really lucky maybe maybe it was because I had a lot of experience of being in London or maybe it was just like I had a kind of a life a ready-made life waiting for me because the girl I was going out with at the time was living down here right that helps Um, (laughs) you know we we hung out with kind of her friends a lot I saw my friends a lot I had a job it was all, yeah. It was it, all. It makes sense. Yeah, it was all there. For I me. did. We didn't. We moved without a job. We moved right. without a house. We moved. It was very jumping, I, in, jumping off a cliff and sort of thing. I remember a um, one of my lecturers at uni saying that London is 
London is the best place in the world to be if you're on the inside and the worst place to be if you're on the outside. Yeah, I think that's And that was like advice to jobbing actors, but that's advice to humans really, isn't it? It's like... This, you can lo- I can see how you can lose yourself easily. Like after, after that guy with at that point after we split up, like I, I guess I kind of lost myself for a time, and I, I spent a lot of time just in my house, not really doing anything. But it took probably friends that I was really lucky to have forcing me to socialise with them you know to, to get me to get me back again but I don't know whether that's a London thing or whether that could just happen but that I guess the thing about London is there's so much life like if you're not a part of that then it yeah. it feels almost personal yeah like why why aren't I part of yeah why is everybody else yeah. having exciting lives yeah. and interesting stuff and I'm not able to get in on that I think that's a lot to do with money as well financial situation as well i think london's an incredibly hard place to be poor in and it's increasingly a place where more and more people are poor yeah so it's a complicated yeah well you know looking for a looking for a flat as my current girlfriend and i have been doing recently and it's like just just to rent but just you start off with an idea of where you're going to be and then pushing out further and further yeah, until yeah, you could yeah. and then yeah actually we've ended up somewhere nice but you know it is insane just the the the, the cost of living in london is, is insane it is and it's one of those things where it, that's what that's kind of what upsets me about the manufacturedness of the north south divide in that 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 you know people it because everyone thinks the South is affluent and they're right. It may, means they think that London is like affluent and it's not as simple as that. Like there's so much actual, like people are priced out of yeah. their lives here. Uh, and that's the problem. I love London, but I, the, the, the way it's exploding at the moment is quite uh, distressing to see. Yeah. But, and then I, I like feel that, you know, I, I, that explosion, I enjoy a lot of the benefits from. Right. You know, I love going to the pop-up restaurants or the street food markets right. or whatever. I guess it would be a little bit hypocritical of me to sort of jump in and and say how awful it is that people are being priced out when I so much enjoy the what that means. Yeah. I mean, it's a complicated thing, though. I mean, there's always been interesting and exciting things in London that that was happening when it wasn't exploding. I mean, it, the, there's there's always been people moving from all parts of the country to London, yeah. and that's one of the things, and parts of the world to London, and that's what's one of the things that makes it so vibrant. But what what I'm saying is, you know, t- 10, 15 years ago, you'd have still had your pop-up shop equivalents. Yeah. And, you, and so yeah, it's, yeah, it's there would have still been stuff to enjoy then, but... It's just how it's working. We it's when we were flat hunting, we went to some letting agencies and said we're looking for a you know one bedroom flat, whatever. And they were like, we don't have anything to show you. And we were like, maybe a two bedroom flat. And they'd be like, no, we don't have anything to show you. We do not have one single flat on our books. Yeah. It's the worst time we've ever known for, or the best time for them, I guess, because they're probably making a lot of money out of it but yeah yeah it is 
it's uh, it's it's crazy out there. And I mean, and one thing that you mentioned just now, and also that you've also spoken about in a story, like and uh, that that you did at Stand Up Tragedy, and I've, I think you've also done sort of other versions of it. I think I've seen on Spark Stage as well. Was was about your kind of your like you you what you spelled out around your dad's class and his mum having come uh, to this country and her being Jewish. And that's, again, that's a, a story with loads... There's loads more to that story. People should go and listen to it because it's, like... It, it just... We, we won't be able to recreate it here. But, like, how how do you... How do you relate to that part of your heritage, I guess? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think that, in some ways, my sisters and I probably relate to it more strongly than my dad does in some ways. Uh, he is incredibly not just kind of non-religious but quite anti-religious and certainly re- rejects you know if he he sees I hope I'm I hope I'm not doing him a disservice here but I, I think he would say that he sees Jewishness as a religious choice rather than an kind of a ethnicity so I think I'm right in saying we'd kind of reject that label I think my older sister in particular really strongly relates to that part of, of our our life and our heritage. We had an amazing trip as a family after after my grand died. She with she didn't have very much money at all, but what she did leave we used to go on a trip to Berlin where she grew up and um, went to see we literally saw the the house where she used to live in East Berlin and we went to the Jewish Museum there, which is an absolutely incredible museum, one probably the best museum I've been to. Mm. So if you're in Berlin, I recommend it. And in there they have these massive books, which are records of every Jewish person. I can't remember if it's in Berlin or in the whole of Germany, but who died in the concentration camps. We were able to find like my dad's uncle in there, my dad's grandparents, obviously. Uh, he didn't know. And... Uh, so I think that kind of really made that part of our heritage kind of come to life in a way that maybe it hadn't done before. Mm. My grandma's a really difficult woman. Like, you never know whether her obviously very distressing childhood made her that way. Again, I think probably opinions in the family differ on that. I guess, like, growing up, I didn't relate to that so strongly because she was just like like the grand that was a chore to go and see rather than the granny who was nice to go and see and that's kind of all that signified to me in 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 a certain way but then as she got older she she got unwell she her biggest fear was that we were going to put her in a home so that never happened uh, so it meant she had someone coming in to give her help but she got nowhere near the help she needed and I just I happened to be living at home at that point so I went to see her probably more more than some other members of my family did and and that was interesting we had chats then about her time you know when she was younger she brought up some interesting things, like some stories about her time and the uh, the uh, internment camps in, on the Isle of Man, which is something that I think a lot of people don't know a lot about. That was really interesting. But also other things that, you know, I remember her asking me 
very near the end of her life, whether I suffer any anti-Semitism, which was, you know, not something I had ever really thought about in my life at all, because, you know, we're, we're not a Jewish family, and I don't think, I don't think anyone would pick me out <laughs> for my Jewish heritage. And it was just interesting to hear that that sort of was a, a thing that lingered with her, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it would be, I guess. Yeah, no, when you put it like that, <laughs> it would linger, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, it's interesting. There's only one generation separating you and her, and yet your experience has been so different from hers, you know, that, 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 and, and yet you're still in the same place. <laughs> at the end of her like towards the end of her yeah. life you're in the same place like it's a, it's a kind of you're physically the same place yeah but you're like but you, that, that she's almost from one film and you're from another and yeah. then there's this, this bit where you're crossed over yeah yeah no, that's a really interesting way of looking at it yeah it's a weird thing really to have that kind of uh, connection with that massive bit of history, you know, the one bit of history that everyone knows about. Right, the, the only bit, really, we're taught yeah. in school. <laughs> and to have that connection, which is a personal connection, but it's not an immediate connection. Yeah. And what does that, that, what reaction does that kind of entitle you to? You know, when I went to visit Auschwitz with my friends when, when I was 18, when we were interrailing, did I feel it a little bit more strongly than they did? I don't know, really. You, you almost feel like... I feel like maybe I do feel it a bit more strongly than some people do. But then another part of me thinks, well, that's that's ridiculous. I don't have any entitlement to that feeling. It's nothing that I personally suffered through. But then, you know, when you see your relative's name written down in a book, it's... It makes it, it makes it personal. Yeah, well, yeah. I can understand. I mean, to, yeah, I can understand that. I mean, it must. I mean, to a certain extent, it must just be personal because of the fact that if you had been born that you know born then, it would yeah. have been personal. I mean, although it's more complicated than that, isn't it? Because you've got. It's like you have if you've got a Jewish mother, you're Jewish. So your dad's Jewish, but then your mum's not. Jewish, yeah, but then so. I think I'd have been Jewish enough. Yeah, right, right. There was there, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure. The how Nazis it. didn't quibble about yeah, that yeah. stuff so much. Yeah, uh, they, they, they didn't respect the the, the religious yeah. reasons for. No, I think that's that. probably true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it would have been, and I guess that makes it. Yeah, that makes it real in a way that. Yeah. For some people, it won't feel real too. It's like when you when you um, when you watch Who Do You Think You Are, and you see the celebrities, you know, collapsing in tears over something that happened four generations ago. Right. And part of you is thinking, you know, come on, pull yourself together. <laughs> nothing to do with you. But then actually, it is something to do with you, and you do feel that that kind of that bloodline. You feel it. I think you do feel it. The only, the only example, the only kind of relatable sort of bloodline stuff I have is to do with being ashamed of my family. Okay. It's more like that 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 if you go back in a quarter of my inheritance, which is I guess the same as you, my grand's, not my grand actually, my granddad's family. Like that's like you know they owned 
they owned the mines, the canals, the the empire. They 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 went to India. They 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 they, they you know my granddad was born in India yeah. under the Raj. He would okay. have been he would have been uh, carried around in a stretcher by, by some humans, and so that stuff. I, I, I as a teenager, I I hate I hate like I I hate that stuff. So. I was, you know, very vocal. I wouldn't read any of the. I didn't want to see my relatives' names written in right. our books because they were like, yeah, yeah. that was proof that they were the enemy in my. Yeah. Thing. They, they were colonialism. They were everything that I didn't want to have in my bloodline. Um, but now I feel a bit different to that. Like now, I now I like, I still, I, I still feel the same revulsion with the empire. But I also sort of like think it's it's childish to not look at yeah that. and to not look at it and look and if there are terrible things that they've done look at them and see what that that is I yeah mean, it's hard to find terrible things about rich people though because they don't, they don't write the, no, the, the history books that way but there's a, <laughs> then there's a kind of a weird like very human kind of duality here of on the one hand me me saying well you know i do feel that personal connection uh, with you know, with World War Two and stuff. On the other hand, me thinking that's, ri- that's ridiculous for you to feel ashamed about that. That's nothing to do with you. But I guess you can't. Can you, can you have it both ways? I don't I think know. It's complicated. I think that's just it's just complicated the way we feel and the way you feel about these things changes in all the time anyway. And 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 that's one one quarter of my genetic heritage. I don't even know about my dad's okay. parents at all, really, right. because because. And, but then my dad fought in the Second World War. So, 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 I mean, my my dad was part of like retaking Yugoslavia and stuff wow. like that. So, I guess that's how I'm. Co- so, I've always felt connected to the to the Second World War yeah. in that that real yeah. way because my dad fought in it. Yeah. You know, um, so at school it was a di- well, fought fought is not an accurate description of what he did. He, he was he was very lucky and and had quite a good war, but uh, but that was all. So it was always directly related yeah. to me in that way, but 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 not to the. Not to the to the awfulness of it. No. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the last question that yeah. I ask everybody, <laughs> which is a very strange thing to say, it's nearly always a weird question to ask because just the, it's always the last section of the show yeah. that I'm talking about the bigger things, yeah. and then I say, "Do you have anything to plug?" So you need to change the the, the format of your show so you dive straight in with the deep questions. No, I quite like go it. With the, go with the go with the go with the family history, the kind of mental health issues, whatever. Go with that first, and then bring it back to the light. No, but I like it that way because I, I think as well by the that means by the time I don't know, I don't. It's it's not an exact science, and I do sometimes go straight into okay. stuff, but Norton. No, it's hard to go in for the big stuff with someone that you don't know okay. that well. Yeah, so yeah, for me, it's like it is a process of getting better acquainted yeah. with them enough to, to go into the bigger stuff. But then I quite like the juxtaposition of going from the bigger stuff to the trivial stuff uh, when I say, you know, do you have anything yeah. to blow? But then some people take that really as a big question anyway. So okay. well, let's see how you take it. Well, I'm just sort of picking apart the format of your <laughs> podcast to hide the fact that I literally have nothing at all to plug. That's at all. Absolutely fine. Loads of people say that. Um, <laughs> unless anyone wants to come round for dinner at our new flat in Finsbury Park when we move in. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't invite the internet anyone, to do that. Anyone fancy it? It's an interesting gambit. No one's. No one's replying. Well, I'll tell you when when the emails okay. get in. All right. They, they won't. <laughs> I mean, they, they might. 
If they do, I'll be very. Uh, I will not give out any of your personal okay. details. Okay, uh, yeah. Pass, <laughs> pass their details on to me, and I'll uh, I'll file them away somewhere. Uh, and the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. You've already started talking to yeah, them directly, so you're, you're already in the right. I feel like we're feel like we're chums. Uh, yeah. No. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, everybody. If you can afford it and if you can throw some money my way, please do so. And if you can't, I hope you're enjoying the show. You can find a PayPal donate button on the SoundCloud page, which you can find by typing in www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. Tell people about it. That's always a good way to pay an artist without actually having to give them any money. Tell people about it. Spread the word. Encourage other people to listen. Have some conversations with people about this conversation show and you know generally speaking if i'm ever going to do a plug i think having conversations with people is a great thing it's changed my life i'm really glad that i've started to do it more and that i'm learning to do it better so help me keep doing that throw some money my way you can follow getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can like it on facebook And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.